0: Twenty-seven of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. I'm Manny Emanuel. Manny baby, tonight we got a real money show for you tonight. (laughs) Baby, tonight's show is going to be so money and they're going to know that it's money. Very excited, baby. How you feel about it tonight? (laughs) I'm feeling really good now. (laughs) Really good now. Uh, In case people don't know what the fuck that was about, tonight we're going to be talking about Swingers. A movie from 1996. Comedy. Seven. Uh, the whole many. Have we forgotten the whole idea behind selecting this movie?
1: Oh, yeah, it's 96. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, Please, keep going.
0: Yeah, so the whole idea behind us uh, selecting this movie, it was uh, my, my <laughs> annual birthday pick this year. And why would I select a random comedy from the 90s uh, that I've never seen before and have no emotional connection to? Well, it's because uh, yours truly just so happened to be born the exact day this movie came out. I've always been curious to watch it for that reason. So, uh, lo and behold, we, uh, we selected Swingers, which, uh, as established and as will be repeated later, came out October 18th. Nineteen ninety six. I think uh, Manny is frantically changing a date later and later in his notes. If I'm yeah, uh, while you're doing that, I guess I might as well take the opportunity to uh, tease something else, which is uh, that tonight we're going to be testing out a new podcast format. Uh, we kind of yes. switched up the way we want to do our notes. Um, you know, if you've listened to this podcast at all before, you know you can get. A little long. A there little, are times a where little. we're talking about things just to hear our own beautiful voices. Yeah, that's mostly me. So it's going to uh, probably be a little more concise uh, and hopefully a little more focused. Yeah, uh, we're hoping. We're hoping. Like, God, we're, we know we can go off on tangents, yeah. and I don't want us to not do that. Yes. But, you know, rewriting the format a little bit. It might sound a little bit different. It might uh, come at you at a different style. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. If, uh, if you notice a difference or if you like it, if you don't like it, maybe just let us know. I would love that. Yeah, please, feedback, both positive and negative, would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, be, you have to be nice, though, because we both have huge egos, so negative feedback needs to be packaged yes. in a very in a very Sam and Manny-friendly uh, box. Yes. Because we're both very fragile little babies. Yeah, because we
1: are males. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and allow me to uh, to say this as well. Happy birthday, Sam. Oh, thank you, sir. Happy thank birthday. You. Uh, if you are
0: listening to this on the day of release... Uh, I am probably not yet 26 years old.
1: But not yet. Qu- very close. Yeah.
0: I. If you're listening to this on the day of release, I'm, it's probably my birthday tomorrow.
1: Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, and most if likely... It's, it-
0: if it's later, uh, you
1: probably missed it. Yep. And so, I'm, yeah.
0: I'm devastated. So, uh,
1: <clears throat> happy birthday boy. to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sammy. Happy birthday to you.
0: I was not expecting the high <laughs> harmony. Uh, the high <laughs> harmony while singing by yourself is a bold decision. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Manny. You bet. appreciate you.
1: Oh, thanks, buddy. All right, let's get into it. Uh, what we have been watching? Sam, you've been uh, watching a couple films while you've been away from the podcast? What do you got for me? Yeah, exactly.
0: So I uh, did have some time away and... Uh, did manage to squeeze a few in there i'm now realizing i don't have this pulled up on imdb so i'm stalling while i pull up oh everything everywhere all at once holy fuck balls just diving right in eh? (laughs) hey an aging chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure in which she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives that she could have led um many this movie came out this year all i've heard about is how how incredible this film is how life-changing it is how perfect it is honestly i think after i watched this movie my review in the podcast group chat was simply this movie is everything people say it is and more yeah five out of five period that's where i left it <laughs> that's where i left it i don't want to dive too much deeper into it because i think people should really watch this movie if they haven't honestly even reading the plot synopsis midway through i was like mm, probably should not have read that mm-hmm. um but yeah if you if you're somebody who has not seen everything everywhere all at once and you're thinking well is this movie really going to be worth it i i truly believe that there's something in this film for everybody um it's such a wide sweeping array of Of emotions it's uh, the kind of film that so clearly and so concisely communicates an idea at you Um, the imagery and the cinematography in the movie is fantastic it's one of the most creative movies I have ever seen maybe it is so creative in all
1: aspects Um, I would put this up there in the same echelon in regards to something creative and new mm -hmm. like something that is so kind of refreshing like with, like, being John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. Like, a movie you're just like, fuck, that's a cool idea. That's actually
0: a really good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Philosophically, I I just feel like this movie, for me, was about um, how to respond to that creeping thought in the back of your head that nothing matters. That, in the grand scheme of things, you know... Everything that we do, all the people that we love, all the people that we hurt and make feel better, and every little bit of effort that we do, it doesn't mean anything in the end. And this movie is a response to that feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a response it is. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely was overjoyed. Man, you, you watched this as well, correct? Oh, yeah. I own it.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's I, fantastic. I, I, own, I own it on digital. I am mm-hmm. I will be buying uh, a a physical copy, mm-hmm. but I wanted to see this so bad that the moment... Because new movies get released for sale before you can rent them digitally. And I'm like, I'm not waiting. I'm like, I might as well just pay the $25 to own this thing. And because I know, I know it's going to be as good because everybody that I listen to on their podcasts and reviews I read all rave about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that many people that I follow and respect their opinions Can't be wrong. And they weren't. Mm -hmm. This movie is everything that you hear. And everywhere that you hear. Yeah. And all at once. Yeah. It is... The one thing I'll say about this movie, it takes a little bit of time to get there. It does. But once it starts, it's just
0: fucking pure eye candy the the introduction of the movie um i when you and i have talked about uh, palm springs in the past before mm-hmm. one of the things i always love to say about palm springs uh, which by the way i also watched in the last few weeks but i'm not going to talk about it because we've oh. done it so many times i watched it on the plane to san francisco <laughs> had it downloaded on my phone um but one of the comparisons I wanted to make with that movie is that the opening 20 minutes of Palm Springs play so well when you don't know what's happening. Yes. And I did manage to avoid spoilers uh, for Everything Everywhere all at once. Uh, so that opening act really plays so well when you don't know what's happening. Yes. Uh, it's it's really, really cool. And the process of discovery of this whole hidden world or hidden worlds in this case uh, is, uh, is really cool. And it plays very well even when you don't know what's going on and even though i've only seen it once i have a feeling it plays even better on rewatch when you Mm -hmm. when you do kind of know what's going on so um yeah everything everywhere all at once gets a five you should absolutely seek out this movie if you haven't already it's it's magnificent manny and i are not the only people who have raved about this movie as we've alluded to i
1: don't think i've met somebody that's watched this and didn't
0: love it yeah I've yet to meet anybody. yep I watched this with uh my girlfriend and her sister, and both of them, uh, two people with very different taste in movies than I. Yeah, uh, uh, they both loved yep. it. They both loved it. Yep. Okay. Okay. And that's where I'll leave it for now. Cool. I could talk about that movie for a long time. Okay. <laughs> um, God, I really should have finished with that one. I know. I really should have. I w- <laughs> if I was prepared, if I wasn't so excited about the new format, I would have prepared yes. to have that one last. But. Uh, because the next one that I wanted to talk about um, is, shall we say, A Step Down oh. from, from that one. Um, Interesting. With it being October, it's spooky month. Oh, shit balls. Got some horror movies on the, on the go. <clears throat> I have seen this movie before, Oh, and uh, the people that I live with wanted to go ahead and revisit it, and I've heard, actually, it's worth revisiting. So we checked out 2009's Jennifer's Body okay. with Megan Fox, um, a newly possessed high school cheerleader, turns into a succubus who specializes in killing her male classmates.
1: Jesus Christ, that's what that movie's about?
0: Can her best friend put an end to the horror? Yeah, so I mean, the basic gist is uh, in the opening act of the movie, Megan Fox gets possessed by a demon, and then she spends the rest of the movie luring various male classmates into almost having sex with her, where she will then eat them. Um, So it's a a whole ride. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, um, when I say that this is one that I had been told to revisit, uh, I was told that. Sorry,
1: i, I said you 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 said you had seen this before.
0: I had seen this before a long time ago. It was, I told you that uh, when I was in high school, my friends really just loved watching horror movies. When I was like grade eight, grade nine, this is kind of one that was put on in the background at one point. So there were certainly parts that I recognized and didn't recognize. Um, and of course, um, when I was. 11 years old and transformers came out. Megan Fox was one of like my first big celebrity crushes. Um, so of course I had to check this out uh, this movie about her luring men to their deaths with sex. Um, I'm just going to stop beating around the bush. The movie's not good. It does not hold up. Well, um, I know some people who feel that this movie has aged particularly well. Um, it's, uh, written and directed by women and it's this movie about women's sexuality. And it's this movie starring this female sex icon. Um, you know, so I was really expecting there to be a lot more there, there, there expecting there to be a lot uh, more stuff under the surface, but uh, maybe I just didn't get it, but I found it to be um, pretty dull, pretty predictable, um, pretty poorly acted by everyone involved and just uh, generally not interesting, unfortunately. Um, the horror elements of it are pretty good. Like, there's some pretty good deaths and some, uh, you know, it's a pretty gory movie, but um, but yeah, generally speaking, it's just like kind of a predictable uh, teen horror movie. I, I take it from your tone, Manny, that you uh, you never you never did check this one out. Fuck no. This is nothing about this strikes me as something you would like, and unfortunately, it wasn't one that I particularly liked either. Um, I gave it a two, uh, just because there were some there's some good thrills. You get Megan Fox half naked for a good portion of the movie. Um, I guess I, I kind of shat on the performances, but Amanda Seyfried is it Seyfried or Seyfried? I've never known. Um, Amanda's not bad she's uh gives a pretty decent performance. Um it just, you know, is kind of a predictable uh demon possession movie. And that was unfortunate.
1: This is directed by Karen Kusama. Yeah. And she's a director I've watched her two her first two films. Girl Fight, which is what brought us Michelle Rodriguez. Oh, okay. Um and then Eon Flux, which is with my girlfriend Charlize. Right. Uh Girl Fight was really good. Eon Flux was Fine. I've only seen it once. I own it. I plan on revisiting it at some point. Um, she's got a lot of work in TV as well. And she's a name I keep hearing a lot about. She did a movie a few years ago called Destroyer with Nicole Kidman, which is about, basically from my understanding, it's, like, it's almost like a noir film where Nicole Kidman basically plays your standard male role. Like okay. the almost like alcoholic private detective except it's a woman okay and i heard great things about it and i never got a chance to check it out um so this is a director that i've heard really great things about this was her third feature-length film um i don't see myself wanting to watch this though
0: no it's not worth it if you were to watch this over any of the other horror movies that you've been recommended in your life i would be personally offended
1: no, nothing about nothing about ex- except for the fact that it's this director. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all right, yeah. cool, okay, yeah. and no. we'll
0: uh, we'll end strong. We'll uh, end oh, nice. with one that I did like, nice. not nearly as strong as Everything Everywhere All at Once, but a damn good movie nonetheless. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think you've seen either of these movies, um, so. Uh, I rewatched a comedy that I really like but hadn't seen in a little bit. Um, the sequel to another smash hit comedy that I like. Uh, this is 22 Jump Street. Oh Yeah, haven't uh, seen it. From 2014. Haven't seen either, I
1: presume? I've seen the first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember next to nothing.
0: Okay. Uh, 2014's 22 Jump Street was uh, directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. That I did know. Yeah. Um, and stars Chang Tatum and Jonah Hill. Uh, After making their way through high school twice, big changes are in store for officers Schmidt and Jenko when they go deep undercover at a local college. So I really enjoyed 21 Jump Street when I first watched it, and upon rewatch, I think it holds up really well. as a really solid solid comedy with some good visual gags in it and really good chemistry between Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum in the leads. Um, 22 Jump Street is a very meta spin on the original movie Mm -hmm. so this is kind of a in a lot of ways it's a sequel about sequels okay so there's a lot of in jokes a lot of winking at the camera a lot of when they so uh when they go to their police captains or their bosses at numerous times during the movie including right at the beginning their bosses are always telling them the last mission you guys did was so successful the people way up top want us to just keep doing the same thing so just do the same thing as last time and get success. They don't want to make any more original ideas. Just do the same thing as last time and we'll have success. And the entire movie is kind of a riff or a commentary on what I imagine was the conversation when this movie was being produced, which was don't break the box. Don't, don't go over budget. Just do the same thing as last time and we'll have good results. And honestly, I think the fourth wall breaky meta aspect of it with the kind of meta commentary on sequels works a lot of the time uh it's they they play with it in creative ways that other people have attempted and kind of fell short and it kind of becomes a little bit cringy personally i think um the the fact that they have such deep chemistry between the leads and the fact that um in spite of that commentary they wind up making a wildly different movie than the first one Mm -hmm. um i think those factors uh go into making a really interesting and really funny sequel. There's a lot of good visual gags in this as well. Um, of course, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, uh, they directed Into the Spider-Verse if I'm uh, not mistaken. No, uh, Lego Movie. Correct. And both. Both? I think they directed both. Maybe. I'll find out. Lego Movie for sure. I want to say Into the Spider-Verse as well. So, um, very adept visual directors. And they're uh, they they they're not just people who uh, are content to have the jokes come out of the script. They like jokes to come organically out of the uh, the framework that you see on the on the screen as well. Ice Cube is fucking hilarious. Who directed Into the Spider-Verse then? Manny's shaking his head at me.
1: Three people. Three Bob people. Rob Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman.
0: Okay, I must just be mistaken then. But yeah, at Lord any rate. Lord wrote it. Oh, okay, that might be where my brain is at.
1: And most likely they're probably producers on it.
0: Yeah. Okay, that would not surprise me. But yeah, um, so then Phil Lord and Christopher Miller um, are mostly going to be known for, I don't know why Lego Movie is the only one. Yeah, they're producers on Into the Spider-Verse. And then, yeah, uh, directing uh, 22 Jump Street as well. So, yeah, they have, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a, uh, a pretty good uh, resume, even though they uh, don't have all that much. But, yeah, uh, that's all I really wanted to say about 22 Jump Street. It's, if you watched the original and you were thinking it was good, 22 Jump Street does understand everything that was good about the first one and uh, kind of makes that movie with a little bit of a twist and with, I think, some really good commentary on what even a sequel is or should be or what uh what people want it to be so yeah that's all i have to say about that i gave it four stars it's a, it's a really good comedy actually nice. highly recommend it yeah nice. it's, a, it's a great movie so um yeah that's all really that i want to talk about that i've been watching manny you've been waiting so patiently uh why don't you jump in here?
1: <clears throat> well i want to talk about just two movies um we actually forgot to mention we're taking a little break from the beginning of our 1991 miniseries. We did we forget s- to mention that. Yeah. We started last week. And again, we were rude. Forgot to thank Jordan for Holy coming shit, on last Holy shit, we're week. terrible. Yeah. We're the worst. Yeah. That is 100% my fault. Thanks, so, Jordan. So, Jordan, thank you. Thelma and Louise. Um, yep. Thelma and Louise, which started off our 1991 taking a small break to celebrate Sammy's I birthday. I think
0: I have a, an excuse for forgetting that because I was not here for that.
1: Yeah. So I forgot that happened. Yes. It, Thanks Jordan for filling in. Yep. Major appreciated. I was on vacation. 100%, it is my fault. Jordan, I'm apologizing now. <laughs> uh so I'm uh already deep into my 1991 rewatch. Mm-hmm. I got a good uh, a good jump and a good head start and uh I want to talk about two of them. One because the idea behind this movie had me incredibly excited and it just didn't follow through. That movie is Defending Your Life. Um, in an afterlife way station resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court like setting. This is starring Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep, and Rip Torn. Uh, it's written and directed by Albert Brooks as well. So, the idea of this movie is that if you, during this court, and they, they definitely tell you it's not a trial. But what it is is that your life is basically kind of put on trial. And if you are um, deemed worthy, you get to move on to the next step of your basically your evolution. And if you don't, you get sent back to Earth oh to try again. Hmm. So Earth is like the lowest rung. <laughs> and it has some, some really funny moments. But sadly, for the most part, it doesn't work. And it sucks because the idea is a lot of fun. And Albert Brooks in this afterlife meets Meryl Streep's character. And they're su- supposedly they have this connection and fall in love. I don't see it. Because Meryl Streep in this movie is one, no offense to Meryl, like no offense. But this movie is. 31 years ago. She's stunningly beautiful. <laughs> like she is radiant. Yeah. I kind of always forget how beautiful she is because I'm used to her kind of like for the last like 20 years, where she it's just she just looks a little older. Yeah. But in the 90s. She's aged gracefully. She has. She's still she's still a, a, a an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. But in the like, she was yeah. like borderline hot. Yeah. And seeing her, I was like, Meryl's hot, (laughs) but her character is like basically a saint and an incredible person, and that's part of the joke because Albert Brooks' character is (laughs) not—he's not the greatest person. Rip Torn is having a lot of fun, and he is a lot of fun to watch. The sad thing is, is that the moments in this movie that made me laugh, and there were a few that made me laugh. They weren't good enough to outweigh the moments that drag and the just absolute lack of chemistry between Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep, which is supposed to be. (sighs) This movie is supposed to be kind of like a romantic comedy drama. And the, the romance is what's at the climactic part of this movie. And because there's no chemistry, and you don't see the connection, what could be a truly almost magical moment just falls flat. Mm-hmm. And I was just I was just left going, ah. Oh. But some of the ideas and the jokes that they have in this movie are fun. A lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I, I had to give it a 2 out of 5. This is a movie that with a little bit of tweaking to the script – and a better budget whatever the budget was back then but like some updated um like some updated CGI and special effects this movie could be really really good
0: yeah um it's honestly it, like, i'm disappointed to hear that this movie is bad because <clears throat> this uh, plot really interests me i wonder if this would be the kind of movie that would benefit from a remake and a recast in the in the modern day Do you have Do you have an idea of who you would who would you put in the lead roles today? I mean, shit, Meryl's
1: still available, but no, we'll uh, we'll we'll recast fully. Basically, what you need so Albert Brooks plays a I think he's an ad executive or something like along those lines. So you need somebody kind of hmm, like not he, he he can't be good looking because in his character's kind of not he's not the he's not the cream of the crop he's just like the whole movie is about his his trial is about how he is afraid he doesn't stand up for himself he doesn't stand up to authority he doesn't he's always just kind of bending over he's basically just bending over for everyone else I've got a good one and I'm not happy about it. Okay. Walking Phoenix.
0: <sighs> <laughs> you look disappointed too. The,
1: uh, the thing is is that if we did it that way, this becomes a much more serious film, mm. and the fun part of this movie is the comedy. Yeah, that's fair. This movie like this is if you if you were to watch this, it's it gives you sh- it gives you shades of soul. Mm, okay. And and so that like in my mind, like Jamie Foxx is coming to mind because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. So like Jamie Foxx would work, even though he's, yeah, but he's he, way too good looking. <laughs> that's why I'm like he's way too <laughs> handsome. I I can't think of anybody for the for the girl the, the first person that springs to mind, but she's even though I bet you she's probably of the right age, she still looks too young. And that's Emma Stone, right? Because the Meryl Streep character is somebody that is really intelligent, very successful at life, like just all- an all-round great person. The chances of you watching this are probably pretty slim. Pretty right? low, yeah. Okay, so I- I'm gonna spoil like one of the fun jokes on it. Okay, okay. So, kind of like, I'm gonna spoil a lot of it. Spoilers for defending your life. Give me about three, four minutes. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. One of the fun jokes is that Rip Torn, he's one of the higher evolutionary people along this thing. So he tells Albert Brooks that people on Earth only use 3% of their brain. Okay. And Albert Brooks is like, whoa, only 3%? He's like, well, well, like, what do you use? He's like, well, I'm 41. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, wow. And so I think in the movie they kept calling – all humans on earth, small brains or little brains. Nice. So it gets kind of funny, but how you live your life and how good you are at, at being human to get to this next stage where you start to learn to use more of your brain. That's kind of what it is. You, you move on to the next phase. So if you were somebody that did good on earth, when you get to this afterlife, you're only, I think you're only there for like nine days before you either get sent back or or you move forward. And I think that's what they call it, moving forward. So for the people that were good, the hotel they stay in is better. And so Meryl Streep's staying in this posh hotel. And now Brooks is like staying in a Best Western. <laughs> and so when they like they go on this date and he walks her back to a hotel, he's like, this is where you stay. <laughs> and that's part of the joke. And that's it's those part of the movie that are done well that make it funny. But like I said – that connection between those characters lacking. But Rip Torn, like constantly calling him like little brain or small brain, whatever they call him, is fun. Hmm. And then um yeah, then they during like the trial, they there's flashbacks to these points in his life where he made the wrong choice. And that's what's counted against him. In that because he didn't stand up for himself. He didn't you know he he basically tucked tail. And so he's not showing that he's not he, had, he didn't grow as a human. What about Michael Sarah? Work, little young again. Is he though? Like, I mean, he's getting up there. Is he in his mid to late 30s yet?
0: I would assume so. I mean, Super Bad was 2007. That's 15, 15 years, years ago. ago. So yeah, I'd say he's
1: probably like 35, okay. I guess. Michael Sarah works. Michael Sarah works. He just, in my mind, he just looks too young. Michael Sarah is thirty four years old. Okay, so he's about this about the right age. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Michael Sarah could work.
0: Yeah. Anyways, is that how old Albert Brooks is in this movie? By the way.
1: So this, uh, let's see here, Albert Brooks. He came across as late thirties, early forties to me. Okay. Cause so he was born in forty seven, so he would have been. Early, we went in forty forty four forty four roughly yeah. forty three okay. forty four yeah so we need someone a little bit older than Michael sarah interesting, but yeah uh defending your life great concept for a movie, definitely could use an updated remake, a little bit work on the script, and better chemistry between the two leads but yeah i was there's wow. a good movie in there somewhere. there's such a good movie in there, similar to shining through, yeah <laughs> Except this is way better than Shining Through. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so two out of two for yep. on. Next up is a movie that I I wish I could say I was excited to revisit. It's a smash comedy from 1991 that everybody loved, except me, even back in 1991, and which shouldn't come as a surprise because most of the time the Popular comedies are ones I not like. Uh, But it stars somebody that you and I both fucking love. This is the Bill Murray comedy, What About Bob? A successful psychotherapist loses his mind after one of his most dependent patients, an obsessive-compulsive neurotic, tracks him down during his family vacation. This also stars Richard Dreyfuss, an actor that I like... For the most part. Directed by Frank Oz? Yep. That's a weird one. And... Uh, oh, is that it? Okay, yeah. Um, Okay, so... Bill Murray actually steps out of his usual bull- Bill Murray roles for this. He's not smarmy. He's not the smartest and
0: funniest man in the room? No. Opposite.
1: He is one of the most annoying characters that, in the movie, and for a lot of people, wins you over. He is he is a completely obsessive-compulsive neurotic. Think of um, Jack Nicholson from As Good As It Gets. Oh, wow. Except more annoying. Really? Not as abrasive, annoying.
0: I seem to remember in As Good As It Gets, really... Disliking the Jack Nicholson character, not like thinking he's poorly written or anything, but like disliking him deeply as a person.
1: Yeah. So Bill Murray, see, cause like that's a perfect, oh, I'm so glad I thought of mm. that. You could see Bill Murray in that role. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's in that, in as good as it gets, Jack Nicholson is highly intelligent. Bob is a moron. Oh boy. And so he does all these things not knowing. That they are annoying to other people. And so the enjoyment from this movie is seeing Richard Dreyfuss's reactions because Bob's actions are winning everyone else over except him.
0: You need a good straight man in a comedy like this. And he's great.
1: Now, the big problem with this movie is that the ending doesn't make sense. Mm. It goes crazy too far and once it crosses that line and it crosses a line you're like wow I didn't see you going there and then it doesn't recover and the movie's like shit how do we end this I guess we'll end it like this and when it ends you're like uh that was fucking weird everything up to that point is of uh, an, an enjoyable comedy there are some truly laugh out loud moments uh i'm gonna spoil one little scene there is a scene where bob joins the family for dinner and it made me laugh because of what bill murray's doing and richard Davis's reactions so bill murray is at this dinner with his family his psychotherapist family who's in he's inserted himself with and he keeps going with every bite of food he's eating corn on the cob every bite of food he does not stop going mmm Mm. (laughs) Mm. and it just keeps going he does not stop and you can see there's the son the daughter and the mother they all think it's delightful but Richard Dreyfuss is seething (laughs) with anger because you can and I'm with him you're like not every bite is that fucking good you don't need to make that sound with every bite of food and he just keeps doing it and it keeps going And it is funny, Um, but the ending, like the the last like basically ten minutes of the film, almost wreck it for me. Wow! Like uh, I won't. I'm not. I'm not going to spoil two movies in a row. Yeah. But off air, if you are like, I don't think I'm going to watch this. I'll spoil it for you because you'll be like. That's fucked I'm up. I'm probably not going to watch this movie. Cool. We, we can talk. If we remember, I'll yeah. I'll be happy to spoil it for you because sure. I'll tell you all about it and you'll be like, that's fucking weird. I still had a good time with it. I remember everybody really loving this movie when it came out. It's just not for me, but I was entertained a lot of the times because of the chemistry between Bob and Richard Dreyfuss, so I gave it a three out of five. Oh, okay, cool. Um. Just real quick, um, while we were talking about
0: having a good straight man, uh, another thing that I've been watching popped into my head. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I'd love to g- give a quick shout out, to, uh, shout out to a TV show, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of the Netflix show Dairy Girls? Nope. Oh, I've been watching that show. It's uh, it's pretty darn good. If there's anyone listening who's looking for a good comedy show on Netflix, highly recommend. It's about um, a group of girls who are friends in... London, londonderry northern ireland Mm -hmm. uh in the 90s during uh during the tumultuous times they were experiencing there with the ira and these girls have really good chemistry um incredibly thick accents so highly recommend watching with subtitles nice the reason i wanted to give it a shout out is because um there's a comedian uh that i know from who, who i used to see on just for laughs when i used to watch that show a lot uh, who's in the show. His name is Tommy Tiernan, uh, another comedian with a very thick Irish accent. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a very funny comedian, very silly comedian, but he is very much the straight man in that show. He's the one, he's the father of one of the girls, and he's always the one reacting to the shenanigans of the people around him. And he has excellent comedic chemistry with um, the grandfather of the house, who is played by Ian McElhaney, uh, who played Barrist and Selmy in Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, who also has a very, very thick accent. So, the two, uh, the, uh, with Ian McElhaney being uh, this, uh, so Ian McElhaney being the grandfather of the family, um, and then Tommy Tiernan being that guy's son in law, the two of them butt heads constantly and it is absolutely comic gold. They're my favorite part of the show. I wish they were on it more. The girls themselves are very funny as well, but the two of them have some of the best comedy, uh, comic chemistry. Anyway, I just wanted to shove that out real quick because I remembered I've been
1: watching it. Cool. I did want to talk about one more thing. Sure. Um, It's the uh, Marvel Studios special presentation that came out for Halloween called Werewolf by Night. Interesting. It is a 45-minute short film. 52 minutes, 52 minutes, but that includes the, um, the credits. So I think it's about 45 minutes long. It is, uh, it's called Werewolf by Night. Uh, it follows a lycanthrope, a lycanthrope superhero who fights evil using the abilities given to him by a curse brought on by his bloodline. One of the reasons I wanted to point this out is how much I enjoyed it. But the director, I just looked
0: at that. Yes. I saw your face (laughs) as soon as you looked at it. It's
1: Michael Gianquino.
0: Awesome. Best known for uh, doing music for several Pixar movies. Yep. Uh, basically, the best scores you can think of in Pixar. Um, up, The Incredibles, uh, chances are it was written by him. Yeah. As so well as a number of other excellent movies.
1: He, um, He directed this. He does a score in it. It's filmed in black and white. It is incredibly entertaining. It is definitely setting up. The world that Blade is going to inhabit when Blade joins the MCU next uh, next year in 2023. This was a lot of fun, really inventive. The it's called Werewolf by Night, so you can guess that there is a lycanthrope superhero. Lycanthrope is that right? I Ly- think that's right. Yeah. Lycanthrope that yep. just sounds weird. Lycanthrope superhero. So there's a werewolf in this. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Okay, the werewolf transformation scene incredible really yes oh good incredible because of how they do it and great use shocking great use of score and this is against in black and white this is incredibly gory for an mcu sweet there is literal blood splatter on the screen on the lens yes yeah nice This I guess is, hence
0: inhabiting the universe of Blade because uh, I'm not super familiar with the character of Blade, but I do know that the previous iteration was hard R.
1: Yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And if you get a chance, if you have an hour free time, I know that you enjoy most of the MCU. Definitely check this out. Yeah. I think you have a really great time. Sounds like a lot of fun. Now, there is a pretty deep dive kind of character introduction in this. I want, I'm i just going to call it a movie. There, and when he showed up, I was tickled pink because I honestly never thought that this character would join the MCU. And to see him, when I, when he first shows up, I was like, is that really who I think it is? Hmm. And then when you get a clear look out of him, you're like, holy fuck it is. And I was very excited. Uh, absolutely 100% worth checking out. Like I said, it's under an hour. It's a great fun little addition into the MCU if they do more special presentations like this like just a one hour special not a series anything like that fucking sign me up this was great easy four out of five for me
0: decent Uh, yeah that sounds really interesting I'll add it onto uh, onto the old list
1: wicked that's what I've been watching that's everything we're good to go it's now to start to introduce our new format but we have to introduce the movie that we are reviewing this is Sammy's birthday pick, and he delighted me with the pick that he was coming with this year. He picked, as he mentioned at the top of the show, he picked the movie that was released the day he was born. That's right.
0: I think there was more than this, but uh, because I think I think I was born on a on a Friday, so I think it was like the weekend release. So I think there was a couple, um, oh, but definitely. this is like far and away the the biggest name. I could be wrong about that. I'm not totally sure. Uh, I can potentially look that up if you. Uh,
1: if you like. Sure. You do that and I will yeah. read off the stats. Okay. The movie Swingers, released October 18th, 1996, directed by Doug Liman, written by John Favreau, starring John Favreau, Vince Vaughn and Heather Graham, has a Metascore of 71 and a letterbox score of 3.6. Nice. Uh no Oscar wins because there was no Oscar nominations. Had a budget of $200,000 and it grossed 4.5 million. The plot a wannabe actor has a hard time moving on from a breakup, but he is lucky to have supportive friends. Did you find any of the other ones released on your birthday, set? Yeah,
0: I sure did. Um, so we got uh, Swingers, obviously. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of any of these other ones, so you okay. might have to help me.
1: Jude. Jude. No, don't know it.
0: 1996 British period drama film. Never heard of it. Nope. Uh, sleepers.
1: Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to revisit it. Stacked cast
0: interesting uh yeah kevin bacon jason patrick brad pitt nero hoffman yep mini driver nice um and uh the final one was to jillian on her 37th birthday
1: oh that's a that's a dramedy i think
0: yeah american romantic drama film directed by michael pressman with peter gallagher claire danes yep
1: i remember i've I've seen it remember nothing
0: interesting yeah so those are those are the only ones i could find
1: okay cool (gasps) All right. By Sammy the way, I, by okay. the way, it was a
0: Friday on it was a Friday on which I was born. Perfect. So,
1: there you go. Sammy, <clears throat> your spoiler-free thoughts on swingers. Uh
0: yeah, so we've driven this point home, uh selected this because both uh myself and uh and this movie were revealed to the world on uh, on that glorious day. Um so you can clearly see the uh the influence uh, you can see the, you can see the influence of the era on this film. It's very very much a product of the '90s. Oh, it yeah. is right smack dab in the middle of the just dudes hanging out genre. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a in my opinion a good entry in that genre. It uh, also very clearly uh, you can see the inspiration of other filmmakers from the time. There's a blatant reference to Tarantino. Uh, There's references to uh, Scorsese. Uh, I feel very strong Kevin Smith influence with this being an indie film coming out about two years after the fact. So this is like right smack dab in the middle of the 90s and it definitely feels like that. Um, I have to at least bring this up a little bit and it'll rear its ugly head a couple of times. This movie is super misogynist at times. (laughs) It's just like really, really misogynist. Uh, But unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, it's really fucking funny a lot of the time. Um, It's really funny. It's really heartwarming. um, It's very plotless. Uh, Oh, yes. This feels like a direct response to Clerks. This this is Doug, is it pronounced Lyman? Lyman. This is Doug Lyman. Just here's my version of Clerks basically, is what this feels like. Uh, and it's pretty good. It uh, it uh, definitely uh, exceeded my expectations. I wasn't expecting to like this movie this much. I wasn't expecting it to be this well made. It's a very well directed movie. Looks very good. Doug Lim- Doug Lyman also doubled as cinematographer on the movie. Yep. And for a shoestring budget, something like 200K, k. think. 000. 200K, this movie looks fucking phenomenal. Right? For that. It looks really, really good, especially considering the type of movie that it is. You know, you think back to Clerks, obviously a w- even lower budget movie than this, but that was basically just camera on tripod and then point at person saying funny yeah, thing.
1: Kevin Smith does not have any visual style. No idea. Yeah, Yeah. but
0: uh, Doug Liman takes that extra, whatever it was, couple hundred thousand dollars and makes like a movie movie with it, even though, again, there's no plot. There's no plot to this movie. Well, there's a minor plot. There's an arc. I'll concede there's an arc. Okay. Um... But yeah, it doesn't even necessarily I'm not saying that as a knock against the movie or anything. No, 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 Plotless no. does not mean bad. It's uh it's pretty darn good. Um I do have some problems with the ending and the emotional arc of our character where it winds up, Ooh, but interesting. I do respect that there is one. Um I'll, I'll kind of leave it there for right now because uh with the new format, I guess there's specific sections for the things I want to talk about. Um but yeah, I'll leave it there by saying I I enjoyed it. Um aspects of it super haven't aged well. Um, but, yeah, if this is the movie
1: that I share my birthday with, then, yeah, I'm happy with that. Awesome. So I would have seen this movie probably 1997 at some point. Now, as I stated before, this movie grossed $4.5 That is nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, on a budget of $200,000, it's a pretty big budget. I mean, that, that, that's a excellent return on investment. Mm-hmm. When this movie was made... Uh, this is all after the fact. I found it afterwards. Basically, the, the Doug Lyman, John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, they all saw this as kind of like a resume film. They didn't ever ex- really expect it to go anywhere or do anything. This movie exploded on home video. Now, that is thanks to, sadly, the genius of all-around good guy Harvey Weinstein. What do you think
0: what the first note is that I have— Boo. It's just the word boo in all caps yeah. with the Miramax logo. So just
1: remember, like, this was bought by Miramax, not made by Miramax. Yeah. So this was an independent film that was bought and distributed. Now, it didn't, obviously, it didn't do anything theatrical, but what they realized is they had something on, they had something that if it found the audience, it was going to work. Mm-hmm. And so what they did is they actually sunk a lot of money into promoting this when it got to blockbuster Mm. so this was uh if you remember correctly the poster that you posted in the group and it's one of the famous ones it's a vince vaughn i think he's holding out his hand uh, perhaps a martini i believe yeah i think that's correct he's holding out okay so those were like those six foot tall stand-ups that you would see in video stores they had this they really promoted this on the home video front that's how this became so popular, and this movie is huge, especially for dudes in the 90s. Yeah. Guys my age, guys within like basically a 10 years older than me and five years younger than me would have We went apeshit for this movie, because it is exactly what you said. It's a bunch of dudes hanging out, and there's a couple specific scenes that we'll get to that basically show you exactly the way guys are Mm -hmm. when they are just with guys. Totally. I I can't imagine, by the way,
0: why overall good guy Harvey Weinstein, who notoriously respects women, uh, would
1: find such a a kindred spirit with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So when I saw this movie, it absolutely rocketed to the top of one of my movies that I absolutely loved. Mm. This was... I would have been... Yeah, I would have been 21, 22 when I saw this movie. And so I'm this is I'm right in their demographic. It was just a continuation of the incredible privilege I had of growing up in the 90s and the independent film scene being as robust and incredible as it was. Again, a lot of that is sadly thanks to Miramax and it's hard now to see that logo and know everything that that monster did and on the flip side I'm in debt to him yeah, for what he has done that's, that's to That's a d- tough
0: a tough thing to say and to admit but like that's very much true that if it weren't I don't, even want, I don't want to harp on this point too much, yeah. but like, he's literally directly responsible for you finding this movie. Yes, that's not that's not an overstatement of what happened.
1: He's responsible for my number one movie of all time. Yeah, yes. not not this. In case that's not clear, no, Pulp Fiction. It, Pulp Fiction. He
0: is directly responsible. And my number two movie of all time. Yes. Dot dot dot. He. Di- How do you like Ben Apples?
1: No, I know that, but <laughs> didn't he? Didn't he have something to do with Inglorious as well?
0: He may well have. Imagine. Oh, you know what? That you know That's what? That's a Tarantino. He probably film. did. Yes. He probably did. Yeah. That's true. Okay. My so, number one and my number two movie of all time.
1: Yeah, he is a absolute monster. But sadly, he was also good at his job. Yeah. And I, it's it, it, it it's like Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Except exactly it. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah, the kick world, him to the side. The world would be
0: so much easier if bad people weren't allowed to be good at anything. Yes. <laughs> that would be the world would be so much way fucking better. Yes. But alas, that's not the way it is. Okay.
1: <laughs> so uh, like uh, enough on that. We obviously we're acknowledging again the monster that he is and the absolute mm-hmm. travesty and tragedies that h- occurred because of him. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I'm also thankful for the work that he has done in my art form. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um so I- I've seen this I've seen this movie North of thirty times, easily, easily, and it's an easy watch. It is an easy watch. It's it flies by. Hour forty something like that. Is that what it is? Is yeah. it even that long? Uh, ninety
0: six minutes. Yeah, ninety six. Hour thirty
1: six. Okay. Uh. So yeah, th- I I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. Every time I watch it, it just brings me nothing but joy, <clears throat> nothing but joy, and even when I was. Listening to the two commentary tracks, that made me happy, because mm-hmm. I could hear some of the dialogue in the background, I'm like, "Oh, this movie is just a delight, an absolute delight. So let's get into the film and our new way of breaking down the films. So spoilers for swingers. in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. We're going to start off with uh, some notable scenes we have decided we're going to alternate we're going to pick a scene we're going to break it down discuss as much as we are we're going to alternate picking them until we decide to stop yeah cool all right i'll go f- your birthday
0: uh huh you go first uh opening scene is fantastic um i should point out here notable scene doesn't mean good scene but no, i did out of sheer habit i did wind up picking uh, just like most of my favorite scenes in the movie um opening scene Ron Livingston and John Favreau in the diner okay um is a Is an excellent conversation. I have it noted as a a filmmaker's scene Mm -hmm. because this is the scene that, I mean, when you watch enough movies, you kind of pick up on these things. You can tell right away, this is the scene that's telegraphing the end of the movie. Like in this scene, they describe the entire plot to the movie that you're about to watch. Admittedly, not a long scene because not a lot of plot, but the whole description of, well, you can't call her because it'll just push her further away. Um, you have to either pretend to forget about her or forget her. And the whole rub of the situation is once you actually do forget about her, that's when she's going to call you. Yep, (laughs) And just like that, that whole description of that scene. First of all, the dialogue between them is great. These two obviously have a very close friendship. I like that the character of Rob, played by Ron Livingston, never actually makes fun of Mike for expressing himself and for showing his feelings. The two of them are very open with each other and he's happy to be there as a friend. He's, yep. he's happy to talk him through this. I, I really like that dynamic between the two of them. And I also like that whole filmmaking aspect of it where it's sort of the writer looking into the camera and saying, here's what this movie is going to be about. Enjoy.
1: Yeah. Uh, just so you know, uh, I, it might be in the notes as well, but uh, Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, best friends in real life. Oh, I didn't know that. Prior to this movie, yeah, they didn't meet on this movie. They were friends in real life. Cool. Ron Livingston, John Favreau, friends in real life prior to this movie. That's, That's why the chemistry and the guy that plays Sue in it, his name is Patrick Van Horn.
0: Friends with them in real life. Yeah, it really shows the they all have excellent chemistry. The chemistry
1: in here is unbelievable, mm-hmm. and it helps the movie beyond uh, reproach. Yeah, the opening scene is a good one. It's it, it I I I like that as well, and it sh- it totally introduces you to the character. The funny thing is, is on this rewatch, I I don't think you have a lot of experience with this filmmaker's films and I I have a limited but I really start to notice that uh John is almost playing like a Woody Allen part.
0: Yeah, you're right. I haven't seen a ton of uh Woody Allen movies. I think per, Yeah, I I honestly don't know. I don't think I've seen a Woody Allen
1: written, directed, starring movie. Okay. But he's if you take away his size as a human being, because Jon Favreau is a big man, mm-hmm. less so at this time, but even then, yeah, even then, like he's just he's just a a, a well built man. Mm. He's a super like loser, like a a nebbish loser mm-hmm. who just can't let go. Yeah, and uh, they set this all up. They set up. I, I love that. They, they show you, they tell you what his problem is, and they show you that he has this incredible friend who's there to support him Yeah, through it, uh, which, shockingly, is one of the reasons that I like this movie so much. Yeah, it's, close male friendships, it's right? It's all about close male <laughs> friendships. Yeah. Uh, Anything else about that scene you want to discuss? No, that's it for me. Uh, Why don't you take the next one? Okay, next one. I'm going to go with, let's see here. Let's, you know what? I'm going to jump ahead to this one. Uh, it's the answering machine scene. Mm. What has happened here is that our protagonist, Mikey, played by John Favreau, has uh, gotten the girl's number. He is still hung up on his ex, and he has been told to wait at least two days to call. Instead, what transpires, he takes a chance. He calls her the moment he gets home at about two in the morning thinking that uh, it'll be a little different and it's kind of sweet. He's just left the bar that she was at, so he's most likely going to get the answering machine. What transpires is pure horror. Absolute horror on film as he just keeps tripping over himself and making it worse. This is one of the hardest scenes to watch every time you watch this movie I bet it might be harder to watch the more you watch it because you know how bad it gets this was one of the scenes I was most excited to hear your thoughts on
0: yeah so uh this one uh, I also listed as a notable scene as well um This scene just keeps fucking going. (laughs) It just won't. It won't end. I watched this movie alone. And on the fifth dial, I audibly said no out loud. She just keeps doing it. I counted six dials, six total dials. And on the sixth one, she picks up and says, don't ever call me again. Um, What also makes the scene so extra brutal is the context leading up to it. Because I think Sue calls him out in like the previous scene. Just saying, you know what's going to happen? You're going to call that girl and you're going to fucking blow it. And he gets directly called out to his face. And Sue calls him out on it directly. Then he gets home. Almost, I imagine he's almost feeling a little spiteful at the time. Like, yeah, fucking Sue thinks I'm going to blow it. Let Let me show you this, Sue. What do you think? And then just train wreck. Just absolute
1: train wreck. If... They, if his the last number on his phone, uh, the last number didn't get cut off by the beep, and it was the only message he left, it's a success. Yep, because it's really sweet and really honest and nice, and I think a lot of women would really appreciate that because mm-hmm. he's not playing a game. He's not playing games. He's not waiting two days. He's not waiting six days to call his honeys. Mm-hmm. He's he called her the moment he got home, said some nice things left his number, and left it at that. Totally. But that one half-second beep fucked him.
0: Yeah. You know, I, there's a chance, to to be fair to him, there's a chance he might have fucked it up anyway. There's a chance he oh. leaves the number successfully. He was not ready. And then he just picks up the phone right again and goes, oh, by the way, I, thought, I think I forgot to say blah, 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 and then just mouth vomit uh, all over the place. So... I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that would have been better. Certainly would have had a better chance of getting off scot-free if that answering machine didn't fuck him up.
1: Uh, you're begging him to stop calling. Just please don't. Yes. <laughs> and it's what... It, this Credit to John Favreau in this scene for his acting because it's just him and a phone. Mm-hmm. There's no one on the other line except the, Hi, you've reached Nikki. Leave a message. That's it. That's the only... And it's just him on a phone talking. There's not a lot of camera trickery. It's just a really great performance. Really well shot. Well acted. Chef's kiss.
0: On the well shot note, I'm pretty sure this is one take uh, from behind. Most of the time, right? Like John Favreau is facing a window away from the camera. We see his back for most of this take. I like that decision directorially. It's almost like you sitting in the chair feel like you can like snap at him like try to get his attention like don't like don't call again that's fine that's enough but he's just not listening he can't hear you he can't hear you yell at him and it's it's horrible yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) loved it all right what do you got next yeah let's see what else
0: um a little bit of a uh, like a more minor scene that I really want to draw attention to. I'm sure this is probably one of the ones you think of when you think of the male friendship being represented in this movie. Then playing NHL, which what I think is NHL '94. Um,
1: it's Sega, Sega hockey.
0: Okay, Sega hockey. Yeah, it's on. It's on the Sega. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a this is a great scene. Oh uh, the, the whole interaction, the this back and forth about, but Wayne Gretzky being a bitch and LA Kings being a finesse team. Uh, whether you can make people bleed in this
1: game. Oh, like, did you ever play that where you can make the head bleed? No, I never played those Flunk. ones. It was unbelievable first, when you
0: did it. <laughs> the first NHL game I ever played was '99. Okay, and that was even some years after the fact. After that came out, and that was on the Nintendo 64. That was the first sports video game I ever played. Um, but yeah, this whole scene is just is just really light good fun this is unbelievable sue just taking the game just a little too seriously by the way i am sue in that room (laughs) i'm the guy taking the video game too seriously every time till the end of time um and uh vince vaughn's character just kind of making a mockery of him just i i can't remember the exact line like i'm gonna i'm gonna make uh wayne gretzky's head bleed for mr 99 fanboy over here something like that so fucking funny You really get the impression in this scene that they've been friends for a long time. Yes. And obviously we know, uh, you and I know sitting here that they have been. Yep. Um, I didn't know that necessarily at the time, but it completely does not surprise me. Oh,
1: I know. Like, the chemistry between the cast in this film is off the charts good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can, in my my ears right now, I can hear the fucking music. Dun, 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 dun. I can hear all of it. Mm-hmm. I can hear it. The getting angry when you're playing and accidentally bumping the person you're playing. We've all fucking been all there. i uh, The instant replay. This is something that T-Bone loves to do. <laughs> this is I've like, been this person too. Yes. Oh, you think that's bullshit? Let's just take a look. Yeah. Why do you think there's replay in the game? To see if something is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable how much... This scene resonates with men. Mm-hmm. It You are literally watching you and your friends on screen without a doubt. Then the pizza guy shows up. Yeah. And apparently they all used to do this, that whoever had to go and answer the pizza guy, the other guys would yell stuff to try and make the guy embarrassed. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah. It, again, it's a total guy thing to do, and mm-hmm. it is fucking funny.
0: Is he clean? Tell is he me. clean? <laughs> is he
1: polite? <laughs> Invite him in. It's so stupid. um it broke my heart like in that in that game, I remember playing the earlier versions uh in this version, they took out the fighting, mm. but the head bleed was in there and it was not easy to make a guy have his head bleed and so when you did it it was like the greatest thing in the world it was almost better than scoring goal wow it was awesome <laughs> watching this made me miss playing video games with my friends like in the biggest way this scene is massive for me yeah,
0: i was uh i was never really a huge video games guy as a kid i mean i guess i kind of was but sports video games i mostly just like playing like a full season. Like I loved playing MLB The Show when I was a kid and just like doing a full season and like being the manager and all that stuff. Kind of like, like, I mean, you must know with uh, your, uh, what's the video game that you play called? Out of the Park Baseball. Out of the Park, right. Yeah, so you know. Um, that being said, well, uh, the several times that I've been to Germany, my friends there, naturally being Germans, are obsessed with FIFA. FIFA. They love FIFA. And like some of my best memories over there are playing FIFA with them and uh, I sucked because I didn't, I didn't grow up watching soccer and I didn't grow up playing FIFA at all. And I still, to this day, have a picture of me posing in front of a TV screen because I beat one of my friends one nothing, And <laughs> he got roasted relentlessly by the other one because, haha, you lost to the Canadian, you idiot. Like, you're supposed to... <laughs> Canada can't even make the World Cup and you're losing to, to him and FIFA. Just fantastic day. The shit talk, man. That's what it's about. Oh, it it's is about almost a shit talk. That.
1: One of my favorite pictures of all time is it wasn't a video game was at an arcade but we i i'll I'll toot my horn at video games i'm okay at racing games Mm -hmm. at an arcade i'm really good really yes so we had this big massive race and we did three races i won one and there was i think there was four of us i won one Gino won one, so we did the third one, and I beat him. And I have a picture of me <laughs> holding his head, and his, his head's like this. It's one of my favorite pictures because I am so happy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the I have this scene label just labeled as Sega hockey. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all right, great pick. Yeah, you're you got the next pick. All right, next up for me, um, let's go with. I'm gonna go with. Um, this is when Rob visits Mike. After the after the, the fiasco with the
0: answering machine. Yeah, so for two days, we for, gather he's just been sitting and sulking.
1: Basically, probably sitting in darkness and moping. And Rob comes to visit. Much like the opening scene for you, this really shows uh, the connection that Rob and Mike have. Rob knows what his friend needs, so he shows up there, brings food, brings drink, and not alcohol, but brings him orange juice.
0: I like that little character trait that's, very rarely discussed, but comes up several times. Just the, the fact that he he likes OJ. Is he a recovering alcoholic? I don't the
1: character Mike yeah, or John? Do
0: Mike Mike do we see him drink a drink? Yeah, he
1: or he orders an or Oh or-
0: right, he ordered keeps ordering whiskey. Okay, never yeah. mind. Okay. But I do like this detail that he just loves orange juice. That just mm-hmm. kind of rears its head a couple times.
1: Um this was actually a late entry onto my list. I actually had uh another uh scene picked on here. But after rewatching this, the funny thing is I actually picked out my scenes before I even started watching it. Mm. Cause I knew which ones I wanted to talk about. So this one I added on after he knows what his friends needs. He knows, he knows to bring food. This is where he tells Mike that he looks up to him because this is where he says, you know, once I knew you were out here and were making it, I felt that I could as well. And he tells him, you don't understand what you have. Mm. You keep thinking about things you don't have. You need to focus on the things you do have. And this is the, this is the scene that turns Mike because it's the next scene that he goes to the Derby and things turn around for him. I fucking love this scene a lot. Basically because him telling Mike that he basically kind of looks up to him and showing that he's a true friend and he's there to like, he admires him and stuff like this. It reminds me of something that happened between T-Bone and I, where T-Bone, it, I'm, I'm kind of putting him on blast here, but he told me he told me to my face that he looks up to me, and that meant everything to me. Now, he definitely doesn't anymore, but <laughs> at the time, he, he said that he did That nose is weighing his face down too much. So, can't <laughs> <him>. <laughs> so true. Um, so this scene really hit a lot harder on this watch, and I want to put it in here. So, again, it's really showing uh, the friendship between uh, Rob and Mike, and so this scene uh, was one that I really want to to put some focus on.
0: Yeah, I uh, I have the same scene written down nice. because it's uh, it is it really really a touching scene, and um, I don't know Ron Livingston from that many movies. Um, the mo- the thing that I'm most familiar with him from obviously is Office Space. Yeah. I, fucking, I fucking love that movie. Yes, um, what a what a good actor. Yes, like, what a what a really good actor. He doesn't have that many comedic moments in this movie. He's no. a fu- he's a funny guy. But they really give him a lot of the serious dialogue in this mm-hmm. movie. And he does a really, really good job with it. Um, when uh, Mike asks him uh, if, if it still hurts or like, when does it stop hurting? When does the pain stop? And he goes like very somberly, very simple line. just says, I don't know, man. Sometimes it still hurts. Just like, oh, I felt that in yeah. my chest and in my gut. It's a very somber and real delivery. He's not bullshitting his friend. He's not saying, ah, you're going to be fine, you know, whatever. He's showing empathy to his friend and trying to tell him that he cares about him and looks up to him. And it's such a goddamn touching moment. It makes me want to fucking cry. It's, yeah. It was like a shockingly, I shouldn't say shockingly, but really a shockingly good scene yep. in, in the middle of this silly movie.
1: Awesome. What's up for you?
0: Um, the only one that uh, I have written down, I think we've had overlap on most of mine anyway, mm-hmm. Um. But uh, the only other one I have written down is the uh, the dual phone call with uh, Michelle and Lorraine and Mike. Oh, at the end? Yeah, at the very end of the movie. Um, I mostly like this scene uh, because it kind of uh, comes in tandem with that initial diner scene. Yes. So uh, not only because I got to pat myself on the back being like, ha ha, I recognize that your initial scene was calling out a scene at the end. Um, but it really is almost... conclusion to the arc uh for mike Mm -hmm. or at least it draws his arc a little bit closer to close um this is the the prophecy the prophesied moment is that how you say that word prophesized Uh, prophesized let's go with that um this is the prophesized moment from the from the beginning of the movie where one day your ex is going to call you and you're you'll have moved on you'll you'll have stopped caring
1: and that's when they know to call yeah
0: and that's when they know to call and uh sure enough he's now found interest in lorraine um and i I just thought that was a really um, well-thought-out scene just because something is telegraphed. Um, I don't think that makes it bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a well-constructed uh, plot point, and I respected the decision, frankly.
1: I like this a lot, and one of the things I love is, again, John Favreau's performance. I love how he reacts when—I'm sorry, is it Michelle? Michelle is his ex. Yes, okay, when Michelle calls— And then how he changes when Lorraine comes in on the other line Mm -hmm. and he, it's right there. I don't think he consciously realizes that he is, he is over Michelle because of, I think it's one because of the scene that we just talked about, his discussion with Rob, because now he realizes I do need to focus on what I have, not instead of what I don't have. Mm -hmm. Then, Uh, the following scene, which I'm going to discuss next because uh, I still have two more that I want to talk about, but his time at the Derby where he meets Lorraine. He fulfills – he works towards the end of his arc. He has the confidence that he should have and stuff like that. Uh, And then three, when he meets Lorraine, he's basically meeting – for lack of a better, he's basically meeting himself. Mm -hmm. She, Lorraine mentions that she is getting over an ex. She is into a lot of the same things. She recognizes his card and stuff like that. And he sees a kindred spirit and realizes that he is in a good place and that he has made the right decision to come to LA. So when she, that phone call with Michelle, you almost feel him sink back into what he was. And then Lorraine calls in and he, re-emerges yeah. into the person that we want him to be. What one of my
0: worries was about this movie, especially in the early goings, was uh, I was worried that Mike was going to learn a little bit too much to be like Vince Vaughn's character. His name always, Trent. Trent. Uh, double, s- double down. Yeah, double down. <laughs> uh, I was worried that Mike's arc was just going to be, just be more like Trent. And it kind of is, but that's kind of an overs- oversimplification of it. Um, I like that we get a juxtaposition between trent picking up these women you know just kind of saying whatever just pretending to listen to them uh like a couple of white lies thrown in uh playing pretend pretend to be more important than he is but we when we see mike connect with lorraine like really connect with her at the end of the movie he's just being honest and he's just being genuine he's being um certainly a more confident version of himself but he's still just being himself 100 not he's not misrepresenting himself he's not saying that he's super successful when he's not drives a piece of shit car he's a comedian doesn't get gigs and he just got over a tough breakup but he's being genuine he's being who he is and i i liked that take on the arc because it could have easily just gone on to the lesson here is just lie to women until they sleep you until they sleep with you and that you know i was worried we were going into
1: that territory a little bit that's fair (laughs) um so yeah so that that's my thoughts on that last scene yeah
0: that's great um I uh, I don't have anything else as far as Okay, I've got now. two more.
1: Okay. So I'll actually I'll put these ones in chronological order. So, um the one for me is the whole scene at the derby and that's the bar where he meets Lorraine. Sure. Um I love watching Trent and Sue get drunker and drunker. That editing choice of them watching Mike with Lorraine is fucking hilarious. I love that Sue's trying to hit on that girl but Trent's having none of it cuz he wants Sue to watch that watch Mike with him and keeps Literally grabbing his head and turning him back. Talk to me, not the not the honey baby that you got there. Trent uh, is
0: also such a shithead that I think he's also trying to undermine oh his yeah. friend a little bit. 100%. Like, just out, of, just out of pure joy. Just, really? Because we were playing football together that day, and I don't remember <laughs> yes. you leaving long enough to make a phone call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like absolutely fucking undermining him. Yes.
1: <laughs> um. Which, again, on the commentary... Uh Vince Vaughn and John Favreau said that they would do that all the time. That they would <laughs> they would basically try to cock block all they could. Oh man. Any chance to fuck up their friends, <laughs> chance they would take. Mm. Um <clears throat> that was actually my net note. Uh, Trent throwing Sue under the bus. Yeah. Hilarious. That's great. <clears throat> Mike meeting Lorraine, it's really sweet. Uh it's a really great moment. I love their connection. You get it right away. Uh it's completely believable. Again, because Mike has made that whole um, that whole trip that whole his whole arc he has realized again we're kind of beating with that horse, but it's he's realized what he does have to offer mm-hmm. and he has that confidence in himself he knows that if he just he doesn't need to be like Trent he doesn't need to lie he just has that confidence in himself and that's where that's where Trent gets the women mm-hmm. it's not it's not the lies that get him it's his confidence in himself that mm-hmm. gets it totally and so with Mike's confidence in himself, realizing that he does have something to offer. That's what helps him with Lorraine. The, I, the Also, the aspect, he is being genuine. Mm-hmm. He admits he's a comedian that is not getting gigs. He is still trying to get over somebody, and it's not easy. That he is excited to meet her and wants to spend time with her. Yeah, like She's like, you know, I'll be around. He's like, that's not good enough for me. I want us to make plans. Yeah. And that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is real confidence because a lot of guys be like, okay, and then in his mind, like, well, I guess I have to try and come back to this bar as often as I can until I see her again. Yeah, right. Instead, he's like, no. He's like, that's not good enough. I want to make plans.
0: Let me, let me tell you something about this scene, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I want to like about it so badly. I want to like it. Not sure it works for me. Um, the shot of the rabbit at the bar.
1: Yeah, they... Okay, yeah, go ahead.
0: Uh, I love the idea of it. I really like the... the uh, the editing choice here we cut to Lorraine we cut back to John Favreau seeing Lorraine and then we cut back to what he sees a classic bit of montage that people like Alfred Hitchcock always talked about and then we see what he sees and it's a rabbit and we're seeing her through his perspective Uh, In the context of the film, of course, he's just been given the metaphor from uh, Trent that you're a bear, and it's like you're trying to kill this rabbit, and you don't even know how. You have all the tools at your disposal, you don't even know how.
1: It's not just—that's actually from a couple scenes earlier. Yes. That's from
0: when he meets Nikki. Right. So, in the context of the film, it's a really slick piece of filmmaking. Yep. But the metaphor is just a a touch violent for me. This is where some of that misogyny is coming in that I was referring to earlier. This is, like, I love— I I do really like the arc that our character takes where he just learns his own version of his own Mm self-confidence. He's not just trying to be like Trent. He's being himself, and he's being the most confident version of himself. This feels a lot like Trent to me. It feels like gamifying the whole process. Our main character, Mike, wants connection, and he's good at getting connection when he's his best self. Um, This is just like turning the whole thing into a game. It's like playing up the whole predator-prey thing. That's, that's more Trent's style. That's, that's more his style. I don't know if I – like, I want to like this directing choice because it's a really slick edit. Yep. Um, but I, something about it just rubs me the wrong way. Am, you, am I coming off in the right way here?
1: You are. Yeah. I, und- I understand the point you're making. Yeah. I don't agree with it. Okay. <laughs> but I understand it. Yeah. 100%. Um, and then the, the last part of the scene that I love, and I've mentioned it to you a few times now, And hopefully, now that you've watched this movie, you can fully understand that there was a swing revival in the mid-90s. Oh, totally. Okay, so
0: (laughs) I'm not super into swing music. I'm not super familiar with all of this. However, I did not realize, like, we haven't really talked about the soundtrack, which is fantastic. We will be. We will, in short order. Yep, when we get to the technical Um, side. But yeah, this this whole scene... um, it's funny, I was thinking this movie was definitely going to be a lot more about swing based yep. on the title, based on what you told me about it. But, yeah, it was a, it was a fun scene to close things out.
1: Yeah. Uh, watching them swing dance was really nice. Watching the people around them swing dance that were much better than them was great. I wish we'd gotten more shots of them. Um, John Favreau's a good dancer, by the way. He did. He took uh, – He took. well, depending on how much you want – so the Derby, where this is being filmed, that is a, is a bar that they would have swing. They would play swing music at. He went there for three months and took swing dance lessons there for three months, um, not not to prep for the role because he liked it. Mm-hmm. And so, once this movie got underway, he would go over to Heather Graham's house and they would rehearse their swing scenes together. Wow! Until they got it down, and that's why that's why it looks good mm-hmm. on screen. Uh, and then the last scene I want to talk about is the diner scene. Um, where Trent is very drunk and the basically really the only reason I want to talk about this is that it makes me laugh so hard when he gets up on the table and says, Mikey's all grossed up. Mm -hmm. I've been here. I've had the drunk friends make an ass of themselves in diners Mm -hmm. more times than I would really like to admit. And they were loud obnoxious and said outlandish things like this. And so this scene again, this whole movie hits really close to home. This is a scene that really hit close to home. I find it amusing that we have talked about our notable scenes, but thankfully we have the next section coming up. We didn't talk much about Trent. We didn't. We didn't. So those are our notable scenes. Sam, what was your favorite scene of the film?
0: Gosh, that's tough. And you'd think I would have been thinking about that uh, as we were going along here. Um, You know what? The one that I felt the deepest connection to honestly is where Rob comes over to pick Mike back up onto his feet. Yep. Uh, that is a, a really powerful scene, and it uh, it, it was excellent. Awesome.
1: Uh, it's the Sega hockey scene for me, hands down. Oh, really? Oh, f- hands uh, down. Hands down. Really? Yep. I knew that was my favorite scene coming into this movie. Okay. I was. It was basically kind of between that and the answering machine. Okay. But it's Sega hockey. On rewatch, dude, it just brought me back. Nice. I fucking love that scene. Hmm. All right. Next up, our performance review. Sam and I again uh what we've decided uh we're, we're mixing things up here we're trying some we're going to talk about uh, individual performances um again your birthday your pick who do you want to start well, with well
0: let's let's start with Vince Vaughn then because cool. we neglected him uh so much in the previous section um i can see absolutely why he blew up because of this movie yep uh he's so fucking charming every character in every movie he's playing for the next 10 to 15 years is basically a version of this guy yes. um like watching this movie i'm even more shocked that you didn't really like Wedding Crashers (laughs) because he's literally the same person. The same character in the movie. Um, But yeah, he's obviously phenomenal. We all have a friend who's just ladies man, smooth, always knows exactly what to say. Uh, Maybe a touch annoying, especially when he gets a little too much sauce in him. But at the end of the day, is just like a, a fantastic friend to have. Somebody who's always got your back and wants you to... Uh, wants you to have a good time. Wants to party
1: with you. Do you want to know who Trent is? Who is he? Mike Chardulo. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> Mike Mike will kill for his friends. Mm-hmm. He is the life of the party. He, I haven't been around Mike in a long time where he's gotten like obnoxiously drunk. So like he, I've never seen him do what Trent does at the diner. But Mike Mike is so confident with women it's mm-hmm. a you're just watching in awe at what he does you're like fuck that's like yeah. a fucking me- I've
0: I've never really had that side of me uh it, in me like I'm not oh. I'm not a Trent type especially around women but seeing somebody who is like like I say we all we all kind of have friends who do being out on the town with somebody who is is just like it's frankly a sight to behold it is <laughs> it's frankly like how are you okay with saying saying and doing the things that you do yeah. And just like not a shred
1: of self-doubt. Yep. Is is incredible. Yeah. Uh just a quick circle back to the Wedding Crashers. I liked Wedding Crashers. Okay. Uh the thing is I didn't like it as much as everybody else. Right. Yep. The my main problem with Wedding Crashers is like basically the last half hour the movie is shit. Yeah, Com- complete shit. Basically like a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. <laughs> the the absolute beginning, like I love like I loved absolutely love Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah, I know we we talk about it every time we talk about wedding crashers, but that
0: fucking table scene, the hand job scene, yes. is absolutely hysterical, hilarious. <laughs> every <laughs> time,
1: uh, I fucking love Trent. Um, he is on fire in this movie. Like I said, uh, or like you said, you can when you watch this movie, you can see why he becomes a star. Mm. It, it's undeniable that you're watching a superstar in the making. Um, he's such a great friend. And again, it's one of the things I love so much about this movie is the male friendship. Uh, and between all of them, he, he's so confident, but he supports Mike so much like when he convinces Mike to go to Vegas, which I'm surprised you didn't pick one of the Vegas scenes in your scenes. Well, I thought, I've never I, been to Vegas. Oh, I, I definitely thought you would have I, like, I am blackjack
0: seed. I'm planning on going to Vegas for my next birthday. Just so Beautiful. you know, there's, there's a music festival that's going to be on October 21st next year in Vegas, in Vegas. And I think we're um, me and some friends are planning on going down. Beautiful. It's be fun. I'm coming. Um, uh, okay. Fucking fine. <laughs> Twist my arm. Why don't you? <laughs> um,
1: but he's so supportive of Mike. One of, one an, an, A quick scene that uh, I love with Trent is after Sue calls out Mike for being a bitch, mm. uh, and Trent stands up for Mike. He's like, I don't even want to fucking talk to you right now. Like He was so – it was such a, a betrayal of friendship, and Trent was having none of it. Yeah. And I loved it. Uh, Trent, Ab- Vince Vaughn. Fucking kills his trend.
0: Yeah, I like that. that that seems a good call out as well when he says I don't even I don't want to fucking look at you right now to sue. Uh yeah, that's this person saying something like that to you has gotta has gotta be a wake up call. It, it, I, I you, like I like that he's not afraid to stand up not only for his friends but to his friend. Yep. He's not afraid to look his friend in the eye and say, That's disgusting what you just did. I don't even want to look at you right now.
1: Yep. Um John Favreau.
0: Mm-hmm. Thoughts. Uh I really like him in the movie. Uh he plays the wounded puppy dog uh for <laughs> a large portion of the movie. You called him like a Woody Allen-esque sort of sort of role. He's a he's a big dude but really he's just he's just a little teddy bear. Um and yeah, he does the does the wounded look well for a lot of the movie. I also like uh, how awkward he is for a lot of the movie. Oh, yeah. When they go to Vegas, they're high rollers, they're dressed up. He's so high strung about the whole situation that he just, they, we got to look right. We got to act right to get Comp these free drinks. I only have this much money to spend. You know, he's very high strung about the whole thing and has this fake confidence about him mm-hmm. until it's time to pull out the money and hand it out. And he's just, he's like shaking and mishandling the money. Doesn't know how to act. Doesn't know what the dealer just said to him. He just turns into a. a fumbling fucking mess so yep. he uh he portrays the arc really well he has the really weird awkward sad beginning and he has that confident side to him at the end so it's a in my opinion a pretty darn good portrayal
1: oh i, I don't even think i could add much to that that was well yeah. done uh i think he's fantastic in this movie uh he you know he wrote it uh he co-produced it uh i know that he wanted to direct it but he he just couldn't get the financing with him as director mm. and he's great in this role. He is exactly at times he come across, he comes across as pathetic, but it's part of the character and you get to see his growth because of that. And he goes through a a good arc and uh, I think he's, I think he's great in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only a, one other performance that I wanted to touch on and we kind of covered most of it anyways, but it's Ron Livingston. Yeah. Um, as Rob, the other things I really have, he's a fucking great friend. He's so supportive, and he's the type of guy who can share his feelings. He's not—he's not scared to share his feelings. He's not scared to be vulnerable with Mike. He's very supportive and doesn't—he doesn't—he he. The character to me comes across as the kind of guy who when he knows that Mike is down the way he is for most of this film, he doesn't take any shots at him. But I feel once like basically after this movie, him and Rob will be similar to him and Trent where they will make fun of each other and have fun. But I think Rob is the type of friend that when he sees that you're down, he feels like I just need to support you. Yeah. And and doing this, the standard guy thing where I make fun of you isn't what you need you have others for that i don't need to be that yeah they're both good friends to have
0: trent and rob you can kind of think of them like good cop bad cop uh like trent is the guy who's like take take we'll take a shot at you not afraid to roast you but also wants you to come out on the town and have a good time uh, yeah I, I agree with what you're saying i think rob probably can be that guy and probably is that guy to an extent but he also knows that his friends hurting pretty badly Yep, and just making fun of him and pouring alcohol down his throat is n- not really the way to Achieve happiness, not fully. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so, yeah, he kind of understands a little bit more, and he understands people a little bit more. He's
1: certainly more empathetic than Trent is. Yep, perfect. Did, was there anybody else that you wanted to...
0: That was the main stuff. Cool. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, are we picking a favorite character?
0: Uh, well, I, I, think, think... I, I think we said we'll pick a favorite uh, performance uh, out of all of them. Not mm-hmm. necessarily a character specifically, but...
1: A favorite performance? That's is what that... I have written down on mine, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's Trent Fitzvon.
0: Oh like I mean I shouldn't be surprised. I got Ron Livingston. I really like this performance. Nice. I really like this. I fucking love it's, it. I mean there's not too many to choose from. I think they're like 1A, 1B, 1C. Um but Ron Livingston for some reason his performance I, I thought was excellent in this movie. Awesome.
1: All right. Oh
0: oh. Oh, oh is Manny battling a sneeze or <laughs> <laughs> oh. <coughs> Nicely done. Oh man, that my little off switch is really hidden well. I need to turn it there so I can get to it easier. I, I do wish we had a video podcast because that was a whole ordeal. Man, he looked like he was drowning. It was not a sneeze, by the way. It was oh, a cough. Definitely but. cough.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, all right. Technical <laughs> review. So we're going to discuss the technical aspects of the film. We're going to go over it fairly, probably fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Start with the directing. Doug Liman. Uh, I don't know if you know who Doug Lyman is. Uh, I didn't until I looked up his filmography while we were talking.
0: Yes. Edge of Tomorrow? Yes. Really? <laughs> yes. Two completely different movies. Yeah. Two excellent movies. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Which I've seen on TV maybe once. Okay.
1: Um, Doug Lyman, a really good director. His next film is a movie called Go that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely, like, 100% 90s film. Yeah. Uh, right I think, it comes out in 99. Uh, like you said, D- Doug Lyman. Um, doubled as director and cinematographer. Uh, I don't, I can't say I'd recommend listening to the Doug Lyman commentary. The fun thing with listening to the, the Lyman and his editor, Steve, I can't remember what the editor's last name is, but the, the fun thing about their commentary is Steve Mirione. Yeah. The fun thing about listening to their commentary is how they got around their budget restrictions. That was fucking cool. Hmm. Like how they did some of the shots they did and some of the things they thought of to get around how little money they had. That was entertaining. Got some some nice tidbits. um, But the direction here is really great. I think he's obviously – and he he says this uh, in the commentary. He's helped by a strong script. And so his job was to basically just get the performances – And make the movie kind of look good. You mentioned uh, Clerks. Uh, He talks about Clerks a lot. Mm -hmm. He talks about the influence, obviously, the influence of Scorsese, Tarantino, and Kevin Smith. Those are the three main directors he talks about. And um, I really enjoyed the way he makes this movie look, considering how small of a budget it it has. Um, Slipping in, I'm going to kind of combine, well, I guess I should be able to because... He's the same cinematographer. The there is a whatever you want to call it, an homage or rip off of both the diner scene in Reservoir Dogs, the slow motion walk scene and the uh, tracking shot into the derby, which is an homage to Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely fucking hilarious for people that love movies. It's a great cinematic touch.
0: Yeah, certainly. All of those uh, homages are uh, are well done. It's funny that Tarantino's famously somebody who uses homage a lot in his movies and is always constantly ripping off other filmmakers. Yeah. Um and it's funny that only uh what is this 4 years after the release of Reservoir Dogs he's already being homaged and ripped off in uh, in this one. So that's that's kind of a funny thing. Um yeah, really impressed by Doug Liman's direction. It's uh no surprise that he would go on to make Edge of Tomorrow, which is another excellent movie. There's a number of really tasteful shots in this movie. Um, Right away, um, the one that comes to mind is before we even see Trent, uh, we see a phone call between him and Mike Mm -hmm. and uh, we see Mike. Um, Just kind of being tracked around his apartment. Um, Kind of an unassuming shot. Um, There's one where he's looking in the fridge and has to give pause to respond to something that Trent said. He's just illuminated just so by the light in the fridge. Like a couple of really interesting framing and lighting choices that are, you know, uh, surprisingly subtle for something on such a shoestring budget. Yep. I was genuinely really impressed.
1: Good. Awesome. Um, Moving on to the score soundtrack. No score in this film. Soundtrack is unbelievable, it's
0: fucking amazing, right? I'm so happy that we get to talk about this. <laughs> I, I, uh, th- there's a bunch of songs that I certainly recognize. Yep. One of them, uh, as a matter of fact, I actually um, cover in a band that I'm in. Uh, Pick up the pieces by Average White Band. Okay. Uh, so, like, there's a number of songs that I both uh, know and have played. Um, the song Go Daddy O. When I was in jazz band in high school, we played that song. Big bad voodoo daddy. Big bad voodoo daddy. <laughs> Uh, ludicrous name for a band, ludicrous looking band, but also pretty charming. I fucking love that. I love the oversized zoot suits. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, uh, yeah, the, the soundtrack in this movie is fucking awesome. Uh, I don't know why that's just such a hallmark of nineties independent film. Um, I don't know what it is about them and the soundtracks, how they managed to get all this music, how they use it so effectively. Okay. So,
1: well, big bad voodoo daddy were basically discovered but because of this movie. Okay. So they were they used to play at the Derbies on Wednesdays. And so they were approached by the filmmakers, "Hey, do you want to you want to do do you want to just be in this movie?" So they did, they really didn't get paid, but a lot of the old standards in the other movies mm-hmm. um, they got the rights to that music after the movie was bought by Miramax. So I don't know what they had when they weren't getting distributed they use, the, they use the music without permission. Right. Once it was going to get theatrical release, they're like, okay. We need to go buy these songs. Right. So from what I heard, the budget for the music in the movie is more than the budget of the film. Wow. So the budget on the film was $200,000. The budget for the music was $500,000. Wow. So it's not combined. So that's what I heard and that makes sense because they have what like a Dean Martin song. They got and... a Tony
0: Bennett song. Yeah. Um, let's see a couple of big bad voodoo daddy. Like we talked about um, average white band again was a, uh, that uh, pick up the pieces song was huge in the seventies. Um, yeah. That Paul, brick, Anka is that brick house?
1: Uh, brick house as well. I fucking love that song. Yeah, brick house as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. The, the music in here and like you said for, for like in the nineties, having a soundtrack, a good soundtrack was massive because yeah. you could make money from the soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. Like, I bought a lot of soundtracks. And this, yeah, the this soundtrack is a damn good one.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah, I am I, I think that's just about everything I want to say about the soundtrack. Okay, I've yeah. got
1: one last one. Sure. Uh, if you remember the one party scene where Trent is talking to the girl with a the cigar, there's the yes. Jaws theme. Yes. They had to get Spielberg's permission Whoa. to use it. So Spielberg watched it. Saw Vince Vaughn, that's how Vince Vaughn gets cast in the Jurassic Park sequel. Oh, no way. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Because of this movie. <laughs> so, we gave them permission to to use the Jaws thing. That's theme. good. Um,
0: I, I, oh, I know. Oh. what I, I was going to say one other thing, unrelated to what we're talking about. Do you know what Doug Lyman's next project is? Coming up? Yes. No. You're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. It's a remake of a movie that you really enjoy. Um, and I kind of enjoy um it is an action movie from the 80s starring Patrick Swayze that we reviewed you on this podcast. Roadhouse? He's doing a remake. Doug Liman is directing a remake of Roadhouse.
1: Who's the star? Is it Conor McGregor? Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, you have me. <laughs> oh, you have me. <laughs> yep.
0: Doug Liman directing a Roadhouse reboot or uh, remake, I guess. It would be a remake. With uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. And I don't recognize Daniela Melchior. Nope. Uh, yeah. And then Billy Magnuson.
1: Nope. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Doug Lyman directed with Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm in. Cool. I'm fucking in. <laughs> they better have that line in it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to fuck dudes like you in prison. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay. Uh, quick discussion on the editing. Yeah. Um, I really like some of the editing, a lot of the jump cuts. One of my favorite cuts uh, is how excited they are to get into Vegas. You have the whole, I think they're playing an old standard, an immediate cut to a bunch of old people playing at the slots. Uh Uh, I really like that. Uh, You mentioned the cut uh, with the rabbit. Um, The editing in here is is really good. It is. Uh, Again, considering the budget restrictions they had, uh, I really enjoyed a lot of the editing in here. I didn't find anything bad. Exactly the type of editing that
0: I like and that I expect from movies is um well I mean this is kind of the perfect review of it. I didn't notice it in the movie, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Now as we're sitting here talking about it, I was like, "Wow, there was a lot of like really cool editing choices, not only where the cuts were, but where the cuts weren't, where they decided to just kind of do a long tracking shot." Yep. It was nice. It was it was well edited.
1: Uh I'll quickly touch on the screenplay. Incredible fucking dialogue. Yeah. Incredible dialogue.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised uh, we haven't talked about this more. Um, the the maybe a slight note. The use of uh baby and money got old about
1: twenty minutes into the movie. <laughs> not for me, not for me. Everybody, baby didn't really catch on. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I shouldn't even say didn't really catch on. It didn't catch on. No. Money did. Yeah, it really caught on.
0: We yeah, money used. Oh, I mean, I think you still even hear people say that sometimes. Not to this extent, but no, but oh, that's I, money.
1: People, a hundred percent. People still use it, and it's it, from this film. Wow, this everything was money. Nobody really said babies. Ba- babies is like a little
0: creepy. If I'm being honest, yeah, it's it, a little that, bit creepy. There's beautiful babies there. No, gr- gross. Yeah, no, that like, did, that didn't happen for some reason. That didn't I, catch on. I can't explain why, but babes is fine. Babes is acceptable terminology. I can't explain to you why it is. It just is. Babies just is is a little too literal for yeah. me you know like i think i hear baby i think of like a like a baby you know
1: fair. that's it's not cool fair um yeah other than that i i think it's a really great screenplay the d- the dialogue is just absolutely fucking crackling
0: you know who the writing style did remind me of i mean i know we've already talked about how this is basically clerks um so there is a lot of kevin smith influence there um coen brothers-esque uh in a lot of ways as far as the writing is concerned a lot of repeated lines and the comedy simply coming from the repetition of a particular line, whether that's, uh, it's money, baby, or something like that, or, man, this place is dead anyway, <laughs> which I know we've talked about before. Yeah. Is, uh, is like, one of your favorite lines from this movie, like, something that you still quote with your friends, right? Oh. To, uh, to, <laughs> to to just, just
1: one. To just one friend. Who? Uh, Chad. Chad? Chad, yeah. My buddy Chad, who I was on the phone with this morning. Oh, yeah? You tell him that we're doing this movie? No, I didn't. Oh, Did shoot. I? No, I didn't. I'll oh, tell shoot. him tomorrow. He like him and I talk on the phone, like almost twice a week. Yeah. Like you've
0: seen, uh, you've seen the Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. Every time didn't like it. <laughs> every time that somebody says, uh, like, "This place is dead anyway," that kind of thing, I kept thinking of that rug really tied the room together. Did it not? Like same style of comedy, like simply coming from the repetition.
1: Yep. But I don't know. For some reason, it works. Um, the last three things. Uh, for technical set decoration, costumes, and special effects, I don't really have anything.
0: No, it's not at like a. In spite of all the praise we've already heaped on it, outside of you know the camera work and the editing and stuff, uh, like the stuff that's in camera is not exceptional. No, like the, the budget did not go to sets and costumes and makeup and stuff like that. It's not that kind of movie. No.
1: All right, favorite quotes. Maxing out at five, this is going to be hard going forward.
0: Oh yeah, I had a, I even. I don't even love this movie as much as you do, and I had a tough time with this.
1: All right. Um, so with this, I'll just do... You do your five, I'll do my five, and we'll reveal our, our favorites like we did before. Yeah. Go ahead, fire away.
0: Um, yeah, let's see. I got, uh, I'm got. i going to make Gretzky's head bleed for Mr. 99Superfan <laughs> over here. Um, I There's a couple of really long monologues in the movie that I just decided to take excerpts from. Okay. Um, so from the opening scene... There's no difference right now. See, Mike, the only difference between giving up and not giving up is if you take her back when she wants to come back. But you can't do anything to make her want to come back. In fact, you can only do stuff to make her not want to come back, which I thought was a very astute observation from Rob. Okay. Um, number three, um, she won't call because you left. She's got her own life to deal with, man. This is Rob again, by yep. the way, later in the movie. And that's in New York, all right? She's a sweet girl, and I love her to pieces, but fuck her, man. You got to get on with your life. You got to let go of the past. And Mikey, when you do, I'm telling you, the future is beautiful, all right? Look out the window. It's sunny every day here. It's like manifest destiny. Don't tell me we didn't make it. We made it. We're here. And everything in that everything that is past is prologue to this. All that shit that didn't kill us, only, you know, all that shit. You're going to get over it.
1: Oh, well done. Yeah. Fuck that's good.
0: That's such a touching quote. I'm like one of like that I chose that I think as my favorite scene. that's that line. Um, all the shit that was passed is prologue to this is such a beautiful line. It's yep. a, it's really great. Wicked. Um and then just just for you, Manny. This place is dead oh, anyways. I find- <laughs> 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 that was my last
1: one. What do you got for me? All right. I've got the sta- I got some standard ones. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're so money. Mm-hmm. This place is dead anyways. <laughs> uh, and then I got uh, from Rob. Uh, sometimes it still hurts. You know how it is, man. It's like you wake up every day and it hurts a little bit less. And then you wake up one day and it doesn't hurt at all. And the funny thing is, is that this is kind of weird, but it's like it's like you almost miss the pain. Hmm. Uh, and the last one is between Sue and Trent. I took the Kings of the Cup. Yeah, against the computer with the offsides off. <laughs>
0: They're a finesse team. They're a finesse team. <laughs> yeah. All right, Sammy,
1: what's your favorite quote?
0: Uh, You know what? I think I'm going to go with the one from that same scene. I'm actually just going to narrow that down, that big, long monologue. I'm going to narrow it down to everything that has passed is prologue to this. Oh, That's a beautiful I line, especially in context.
1: love that pick. Yeah, it's good. My pick is easy. This place is dead. Yeah, ass. right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. All right, Sam, what's a weak link of the film? Misogyny.
0: <laughs> that's it that's all I got
1: I don't have one I don't have one
0: I think if that's the weak link you're, you're you know doing alright especially in the 90s
1: that makes me fucking yeah. happy alright I got some trivia for you alright go for it <clears throat> uh, the movie is loosely based on the experiences uh, writer John Favreau had when he first moved to Los Angeles he had just broken up with a long term girlfriend and counted on his friends Vince Vaughn and Ron Livingston to cheer him up The characters they play in the film are based on themselves. Nice. Yeah. And that definitely comes through as we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, The bear monologue that Trent uh, delivers to Mike is almost verbatim something Vince told John one night at a bar. Favreau liked it a lot and incorporated it into the script. Cool. Uh, The scene with Mike and Trent talking in the car on the side of the road outside of Vegas was also filmed without a permit. Not only could the production not afford one, it is actually impossible for any film production to acquire one to film on that particular highway. Originally, they had planned to film just an establishing shot of the two of them in the car and a shot of them driving away, and then film the dialogue shots later. But director Doug Lyman decided instead to film the entire scene on the side of the road. During filming, several police showed up and demanded to see a permit. The assistant director held up the police by telling them that they had a permit, but it was in the office across town, several miles away. To get away with the rest of the scene being filmed, Lyman had to pretend he was not filming and didn't look in the viewfinder and use the microphone inside of the car instead of a boom. Most of the scene were filmed like this with the police waiting just outside the shot and the two actor and director pretending that they were, in fact, not shooting. That is some high-pressure <laughs> shit. That's that's crazy. That's
0: indie, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's money.
1: Uh the exterior and interior of Mike Peters' apartment was the actual building and room in which John lived at the time this movie was being filmed. Wow. Favreau's downstairs neighbor was actor Adam Scott. Right. Okay, so I read this. I saw that he has a cameo
0: in this movie. I did not spot him.
1: He's in the he's in the party scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Him and uh Mike White. Uh Ned Schneebly from uh, School of Rock. Oh, <laughs>
1: Also, uh, Oscar winning screenwriter uh, Steven Gagan is in the party scene. Interesting. Yeah, he wrote uh, uh, Traffic. Oh, wild. Yeah. Yeah. And Crash, I think. Mm. Uh, I already mentioned this. um, When asked to approve the use of the theme music for Jaws, uh, Spielberg saw footage and hired him for Lost World Jurassic Mm. Park. Uh, The scene in which Trent yells angrily at Sue after Sue insulted Mike was written specifically at Vince's request. Vaughn wanted to show that beneath Trent's bravado and swagger, he truly cared for Mike as a friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the bar scenes were shot in actual bars during business hours. Uh, A sign was posted near where they were shooting, warning patrons that if they came any closer, they would be unpaid extras in the film. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that we didn't talk about in –
0: the cinematography section, by the way, I it, it definitely checks out. Knowing that fact, um, just how claustrophobic the bar scenes are. Oh yes. uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like in a, in a good way, it really captures the the shoulder to shoulder. Like one of the first times we hear the man, this place is dead. Anyway, one of the funny things about that is that they're like shoulder to shoulder, like barely able to hear each other, like just like making their way through a crowd. Yeah, I, I like the way
1: those scenes are shot. Uh, And the last one, the crew shot at the Derby with actual customers as unpaid extras. It was awkward for Jon Favreau, who admitted that he had probably, unsuccessfully, hit on some of the women who were being filmed. (laughs) He also had to tell a man who sat down next to Heather Graham to leave so that Mike and Lorraine meet cute could be shot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, And I only have a kind of one casting what if. Um, This was Studio Notes uh, when they were trying to make the film, so it hadn't been cast yet. Um, but uh, among the many studio notes that John Favre received from potential bidders were to nix the Vegas scenes, change Trent to a woman, and have Trent played by Johnny Depp, and or cast Chris O'Donnell or Jason Priestley as Trent. Oh, God. Dr. bullet on that one, hey? Yeah. Uh, all right. Closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yes. This was fun. Say so what I, in a heart, I've obviously mm-hmm. watched it like 20 to 30 times. Mm. Would you recommend this movie to friends? I would.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. It's certainly a product of its time, um and it's definitely a plotless dudes hanging out being bros movie, mm-hmm. um but of that genre it's it's a really good version of that.
1: MVP of the film.
0: Uh cop out answer maybe John Favreau. Uh this movie is very much his brainchild. um uh, but he gives an excellent performance in it. Uh his script is fantastic. Um and uh you say uh co-produced as well? Yep. Yeah. So I mean his fingerprints are all over this movie and it turned out excellent. So I think that's the pick. That's uh, Vince Vaughn. <laughs>
1: this is the movie that launched him into superstardom. Yeah. Yeah. It's Vince Vaughn. Um, Sam, recommend a good double feature to go with this movie.
0: We've name dropped it a few times tonight. I think the easy pick, the one that comes to mind for me is Clerks. Nice. Yeah. Um with a, with a runner-up pick maybe being uh, a goodwill hunting for another movie about guys just like learning how to express their emotions and be themselves, you know? Nice. But I think Clerks is an easy pick and a
1: good one. Uh, I was definitely thinking of Clerks, so I decided to go outside the box a little. Mm. I wanted to go something uh, basically 10 years later. Super bad. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, I-, I considered Booksmart as well. So did, <laughs> so did I. So did I. To get the other side. God, we're the same. 100%. We're the same.
0: Um, what will be this film's legacy? Um, I have the sentence written down, a well-made independent film from the 90s that birthed Vince Vaughn.
1: That is 100% true. Yep, that is this film's legacy. Okay. Um, did you learn anything from this movie?
0: Slang can retroactively be pretty annoying. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, I, honestly, I didn't really know what to put for this. I said that Vince Vaughn and uh, John Favreau are a lot more talented actors than I thought. Not that I thought they were bad actors, but... And, you know, we can throw Ron Livingston into that that as well. They've got
1: some chops. They've got some acting chops. I learned a little bit more than that. What did you learn? I learned that uh, being true to yourself uh, is the best way to go in that you – if you try to look at yourself and what you have instead of what you don't have, Mm. be true to yourself, you'll probably get the things that you want that's a better answer for this damn it damn it you win this round i'm gonna have i'm gonna have to reframe
0: that on future iterations of this uh of this layout awesome
1: sam your final thoughts on swingers
0: yeah so uh this could have been a lot worse (laughs) this could have been a catastrophe need i uh retread the chris o'donnell potential casting of it um the fact that we had such charismatic young men in these roles who already had built-in chemistry beforehand really lended well to this movie um Jon Favreau the fact that he didn't direct is almost a little bit unfortunate or it would be if we didn't get Doug Lyman, who is so very talented um of course John Favreau would also go on to become a very talented director uh after the fact so I'm sure it would have been fine in his hands as well um I wasn't really sure if I would like this one I picked it again pretty much blind more traditionally on my birthday pick or on both of our birthday picks we'll pick just either one that we like usually the one that we really enjoy um you know there's the famous uh, Pacific Rim pick that I, that I <laughs> selected one year mostly just to mostly just to force Manny to watch a movie that I knew he probably wouldn't like that was a lot of fun that was a great episode that's one of my favorite episodes of
1: all time <laughs> One of the reasons that makes that episode so good is it's back to back episodes. It's mm-hmm. Pacific Rim, and the next movie is Roadhouse. It's Roadhouse, yeah. Back to back. If you listen to those back to back, it is It's like somewhere fucking delightful. In the
0: episode 70 ish. Right, I'll get it. Yeah, so like I'm just gonna retread this real quick. So Manny is just absolutely shitting all over me in this Pacific Rim episode for choosing like such a bad movie, and I I just chose it for you know fun little monster movie, uh, you know, late aliens getting shot with lasers and stuff like that. It was like pretty brainless movie, but one that I enjoy. Uh, and then the following week is his selection, which is Roadhouse. And I just, I tear him a new one a little bit, like, yeah, which do. I don't usually do. I'm not a confrontational person. I'm like, how dare you shit on my pick knowing full well this movie was coming out? Because Roadhouse is just such a bad movie. It really is. It's so bad. It's one of the worst ones we've reviewed for this podcast. It's not, you gave it a three. <laughs> I gave it a three out of an ironic enjoyment. That one singular line <laughs> elevated that movie like a point and a half at least.
1: <laughs> so that was fun.
0: Anyway, we've gotten a little off track here. What was your guess on the episode number for those? Uh, I'm gonna say 76 and 77.
1: Oh, you're off by one. Really?
0: 77, 78. Nice. Okay. Done. Cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, as far as uh, <clears throat> as far as swingers is concerned, I literally almost called it rounders just now. Just so you know. <laughs> uh, as far as swingers is concerned, um, a great version of what it is a product of the nineties, a launching pad for Vince Vaughn and overall a pretty good time and a story about what you said, uh, even though there's very little plot, it's a story about being true to yourself and uh, you know, getting, getting that confidence back in you after, after taking your lumps.
1: Nice. Uh, I love swingers. I absolutely love it. I always enjoy watching it every time. It's funny. I kind of go on these breaks where I don't watch it for a long time and then I end up putting it on and it just makes me smile. This movie this movie makes me happy. Again, I, I say this all the time when it comes to these kinds of movies, but movies about male friendship really mean a lot to me. And this is just another shining example of that kind of film. It's definitely some things haven't aged very well. It is at times quite misogynistic. Thankfully, it's not overbearing. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the film, a lot of people thought that this movie was about how to pick up chicks Based on the marketing and stuff like that. Once you watch it, it's not. It's about it's about friends. It's about friends hanging out and supporting one another. Well, yeah, supporting one another. Basically, they're supporting Mike because he's the one going through something. Um, this movie is fucking great. I mm-hmm. love this movie. It always makes me laugh. I always have a great time. I love Swingers. Hmm. Time to give this movie a rating, Sam. What do you got for Swingers? For this your...
0: is a, this is a pretty conclusive four for oh, me. I As a... love Right in the pocket of a four, I don't think it ever approached a five. I didn't enjoy it quite that much, but it was really solidly enjoyable, surprisingly well made, and several good laughs. yeah, so, well done.
1: Uh, it's a four for me as well. <clears throat> On this last watch, it crept to a five. Yeah, it crept to a five. And in all honesty, I can't think of a reason why I'm not giving it a five. i I really can't. When it comes to when it comes to this type of movie, ones that I just fully enjoy, Obviously, artistically and technically, it's not a great movie, right? But pure enjoyment factor, there's not a lot. I don't. I, I don't think there. Like, I don't think there's a scene in here where I'd be like, that doesn't need to be in here.
0: Honestly, like I, you said that artistically and technically it's not great. Given the context of the budget, the yes. era it came up with, like all of the production stuff we talked about, it is a it is a very well constructed movie. One hundred percent. I would challenge anybody to make a movie this good. On basically, your first attempt with no budget, yeah, uh
1: yeah, it's a four, it's a four for me, oh, I'm so happy you liked it that, yeah, much. I did awesome, as I was watching it, i was I, I I kinda in my mind the i I knew that the misogyny was gonna tweak you the wrong way, but I was hoping it wouldn't overshadow the rest of the film, yeah, and uh, yeah. All right. yeah as as happy. fun
0: as the bear monologue is that was about the most it ever bothered me in the movie during that monologue i'm going mm, i don't know if i love this metaphor <laughs> this is it's funny but it's also a, a bit a bit much it's a bit out there but yeah. yeah besides that i i did definitely have a good time awesome
1: uh sam what's going on next week
0: next week manny what's better than a guest how about two guests? Holy shit! Next week we're talking about. Uh, we're, so we're returning to 1991. Yes. Uh, part talking, two. Part two of our miniseries. Yes. Uh, part two of our miniseries on 1991 with Mushhead and Abby, who are going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about the movie Hook. Have you seen it? Bits and pieces on TV. Okay. Never. I I highly doubt I've sat down and watched it front to back. Perfect. Man. Spielberg. Spielberg. From what I hear, it's uh, it's not. Is best, depending on who you ask. I guess if you ask uh, Mushad Navi, I bet they like it quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you ask Abby- Manny, <coughs> I love the man. Love Spielberg.
1: I love, I love the man.
0: Yeah, who doesn't like Robin Williams too? Right. You know,
1: right? Julie Roberts. Right. Come on, man. Dustin
0: Hoffman. That there's no way a movie directed by that man with that cast could be bad. There's no possible way. I wonder if I'm going to give this a failing grade. I also wonder. There's I have no. I have a feeling I'm I'm gonna at least like this movie. I, I I'm pretty confident I'm gonna at least like this. i
1: I. There's no way. I if I oh. There's only one movie. Only one movie I can think of that I've watched with Spielberg that I gave a two. And that was the BFG. Mm, heard that was garbage. Never saw it. Yeah. Read the read the book when I was a kid. But. Everything else minimum three, most likely fours and fives. Mm. Like even a movie of his that a lot of people hate. I actually like in the Terminal. Hmm. interesting this is gonna be a three there's no way i can give spielberg a two i'm interested okay cool you gave bfg a two i did i did i did we'll see i did all right um i'm excited excited just before we get into social media sam just Mm -hmm. before we move on on air thoughts on the new format that felt good yeah uh
0: definitely uh some kinks some tweaks and things i would do differently okay uh we can talk about those for next week overall successful as far as i'm concerned how are we for time right now
1: an hour ahead of schedule than normal Wow, well, we just shaved an hour off the podcast
0: honestly and i don't feel like i missed anything too important i agree I'm being honest which is the imp- which is the main thing like um i wanted like what what i think the idea behind this format kind of is is shorten the episodes a little bit but don't get rid of anything important yeah like we want to still tear like dissect this movie bit from bit limb from limb um but we don't need to talk about every single second of every single frame correct there's not always something important to say so we're kind of cutting out a bit of that fluff um but keeping all the meat keeping all the good stuff and i honestly if that's what we were aiming for on the first run uh that was a success as far as i'm concerned
1: wicked i feel exactly the same way yeah talk about more about it off yeah definitely All right, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating, a positive review does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us, which we greatly appreciate. You can also give us a rating on Spotify. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us also on Instagram and Twitter, movie, And you can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast, which I have not updated in probably over a month. My apologies. Mm -hmm. But also, a reminder, actually, by the time this comes out, it's going to be too late. So, By the time this comes out, you can vote for our Halloween episode. Nominations will have already been closed by the time this episode drops. Uh, We're getting some pretty good nominations, which I will share with you as soon as we hang up here. Nice. So please remember to vote for our Halloween episode because our final four picks on the ones that we will be doing should be up by the time this episode drops. Vote and help decide what horror movie Sam and I will review this year. For a Halloween episode, can't wait to talk about Halloween Town too. Really looking forward to it. Oh, not happening. <laughs> I know, not fucking happening.
0: That was a one-time thing, mm-hmm. one-time thing. I know. We are. This is not a democracy. This is this is an oligarchy. Yes.
1: <clears throat> so, for the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast, I'm Manny Manuel.
0: Let's get out of here. This place is dead anyway. I'm Sam Reimer.
1: Adios.